Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. Uh, this is Firoz Manji from Daraja Press, uh, and uh, welcome to Organizing in the Time of COVID. Uh, today's guest is uh, someone who has been an extraordinary campaigner uh, in the UK around issues of, uh, of debt, of uh, the struggle for for human emancipation indeed. Uh, and uh, I'm really pleased to have Nick Dearden uh, joining us uh, today. Um, uh, Nick works for Global Justice now uh, and um, their website you will see here uh, is worth, worth a, a visit. This particular page talks about the specter of an African unprepared for health crisis. And I think this is really uh, the, the key topic that we will be discussing. Nick, uh, a very warm welcome to you. It's such a pleasure to see you again. Uh, and uh, we Thanks must find much. other excuses for getting together. Like very much. <laughs> if only we could get together in person. <laughs> uh, Nick, uh, okay, we, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, the call for the debt jubilee that that you and uh, your coalition around the Jubilee Debt Campaign have been calling. Um, not everyone necessarily understands what Jubilee means. Uh, most people think it's it's to do with the Queen uh, uh, <laughs> 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 celebrating her her uh, birthday. So uh, perhaps you can explain uh, what Jubilee means. Absolutely, yes. In this context, nothing to do with the Queen. It's actually an, a, a, a very old concept. It comes from the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, from, from Jewish religion, and it's in there in the Old Testament. Um, and it refers to a period every once in a while um, where a society would write down all of its debts, it would free its slaves, it would return to a kind of equilibrium. Um, and the idea behind it is really, even in ancient societies, there was a recognition, a realization that if you just allow wealth to accumulate, if you allow some to become uh, richer and more powerful than others, um, that power will just grow and grow and grow and grow uh, in, in our economic system. Um, and there will be no way back. There is no possible way back. Um, and, 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 and people will, 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 will get poorer and poorer at the, at the bottom of society. People will get richer and richer at the top of society. So you need to, 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 to eradicate this. You need to, to, to return to equilibrium. I, I like to compare it um, to, to, to people who play uh, Monopoly with, with the game of Monopoly, which of course was invented as an anti-capitalist uh, game in in 19th century um, America by a Quaker um, and the and, and the idea that if you played the game you will know you get to a certain point in the game and and it's impossible for anyone else to win I mean you have a monopoly and and everybody simply pays you rent and interest and that's it and 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 that's that's how our economy works uh, it tends towards the enormous wealth and power for in in the hands of the few um, and 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 the the intense uh, suffering and impoverishment of the many I think that's that's really helpful, and I think one of the things that it raises is is critical to the idea of jubilee in 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 the uh, historic documents in the Old Testament uh, has been the freeing of slaves. It's about a form of liberation, uh, not merely a financial uh, settlement, um, and and I think that's an important dimension, which I feel sometimes gets gets uh, forgotten uh, that 
indeed, uh, it is debt is not merely their financial uh, issues. It is about uh, create the conditions for for liberation. Um, anyway, that's the end of my speech. <laughs> let me let me move move no, on. No, very much that. so, very much. And of course, debt does imprison people. I mean, so many people in the world are imprisoned by the indebtedness of their governments because when a government is indebted, essentially, it can be disciplined by international markets. You know, they 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 have no power over their economy anymore. And I honestly think an awful lot of the problems you see around the world uh, in in developing countries. I mean, a lot of the 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 the, the corruption and the self serving of many governments around the world has arisen from this situation where governments, even if even the best government would find it very difficult, for, they have no room for maneuver because they are controlled essentially by the richest countries, by Washington and by the financial institutions that are based there. Right. So let's let's give us an idea of, of um, what are you calling for? Uh, and, and, and I mean, this was a call you put out a couple of weeks ago and uh, what progress had been made on this? Well, uh, the situation um, for, for many developing countries was already really quite bad before coronavirus hit. Uh, I mean, we live in a highly financialized economy. Many governments were seriously in debt. I mean, even the International Monetary Fund admits many, you know, a, a couple of dozen countries were, were at risk of, of, of debt default. The Jubilee debt campaign goes much further and says, actually, you know, 30 countries are already in debt crisis and many more at risk of falling into it. With coronavirus hitting, many governments are, are, are seeing huge outflows of wealth from their economy. Their export markets are destroyed. Commodity markets that so many of them are still dependent upon have collapsed. Um, so they're in a real financial crunch. Um, and the debt crisis is, is, is going to get worse and worse and worse. And what we're saying is there is absolutely no way at this point in time um, that governments should be prioritizing repaying uh, creditors in the rich world when they need to be spending money on the health care of their citizens, um, on uh, giving an income to citizens who are having to, to go through lockdown. And it's very, very difficult, of course, for people who work in the informal economy and people who, whose, whose work is based on the streets, essentially. Um, almost impossible. We need to be giving them an income, we need to be giving them security, we need to be creating welfare systems, we need to be intervening in our economies in exactly the way the rich countries are. Um, and you cannot do that when you are weighed down with debt. So what we're calling for is a huge debt cancellation um, for um, developing countries across the board. Um, we're saying an absolute minimum is, is $40 billion need to be wiped off um, the debt of, of, of lower income countries. But actually, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be beyond this because this isn't just a low income country problem. This is a country. Effect, this is a problem that's going to affect emerging markets and middle income countries. Um, and, and we need to have deep cancellation for those countries to enable them to spend immediately um, on gearing their, their societies up to deal with this with this crisis um, and that means the I, the IMF and the world uh, World Bank need to write down debt it needs it means rich countries do and it means the financial sector the banks the hedge funds and whatever must write down um, this debt and and liberate those countries so that they're able to do the things that rich countries are doing at this time. Now, in my, my terms own, of sorry, response yes. to that, it's been very... Go on. Go on. Sorry, carry on. So, so it's been very interesting because there has been, at a rhetorical level, there is a huge amount of agreement with, the, with these proposals. Like, almost everybody says, yes, we need debt cancellation at the moment. But the devil, when it comes to debt cancellation, is in the detail. 
And what's been offered by the G20, you know, the powerful uh, country club and the IMF and the World Bank so far is a suspension of payments. And that's what they're referring to as debt cancellation. So, 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 so they're saying uh, for a few dozen countries in the world, they will not have to pay their debt servicing this year. However, the debt remains on their books and will have to be repaid at a later date. So it kicks it down the road. So we're saying this is nowhere near enough. Uh, this crisis will go on a long time. I mean, you know, for Rose, many countries are in a permanent crisis, actually. When you look at some of the, the figures, um, Central Africa Republic to Mali to, to um, Lesotho, you know, having very, very low capacity to deal with people's health needs, precisely because they haven't spent on health uh, care at, a, at an adequate level for years and years and years now. Um, so th they're in a very, very serious situation if, if this really takes hold in their society. And these countries need to be spent immediately and they don't need to be worrying about having to repay rich creditors uh, this year, next year or, or well into the future. It, it seems to me that the, that the debt is, is a debt created uh, not by the people of these countries, but by their elites. And, and often it's very easy for people to, to say, oh, well, you know, the IMF and the World Bank imposed all these uh, uh, structural adjustment programs on us, uh, which is why we don't have adequate health services and so on. But, but isn't the reality that our elites in Africa, for example, uh, have directly benefited from the neoliberal policies uh, and, and in fact uh, have very little interest in uh, in um, seeing a, a situation which is different, since they benefit from it. I think that's very true. I mean, it, there's no question. How does this system keep going? It, it needs to buy the support of elites in countries that it's exploiting. Um, and, and it's done that very, very successfully. Uh, I, I mean, actually, when you, when you look at the role that debt is played in global politics, it's, it's astonishing. And, and uh, my view is everybody should learn this kind of from primary school almost because it's so important to the politics of the world. Almost nobody does uh, learn about it in school. Um, but, but, but the debt crisis that, that came to a head at the end of the 1970s after banks had recklessly, you know, high street banks in the West had recklessly lent to, 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 to dozens and dozens of developing countries which were just coming out of the chains of empire um, and, and that triggered a debt crisis um, when interest rates were put up in the United States that essentially through countries which had an enormous amount of hope at the time, which, which, which had, a, yes, it, of course it had elites, um, but elites I would argue that were a little bit closer to the aspirations of the people of those countries than you see today. Um, uh, it, it absolutely destroyed that program of hope uh, across the developing world. It prevented countries being able to, to spend and develop welfare states and public services like we um, like we have here um, in the West. Um, and and it, was, it, it was a complete disaster so so you had a debt crisis um, and the debt crisis um, essentially uh, was used by the IMF by the World Bank to trigger structural adjustment program um, and these structural adjustment programs said austerity said uh, privatize everything in sight said liberalize your trade regime said liberalize your capital accounts basically give up any control over your economy give up on trying um, to meet the needs of your people allow the market to do its work um, and and sadly that has had a massive impact on on uh, the, the the prospects of those countries to be able to develop decent societies to be able to meet the needs of their citizens and so on and, and as a result you find dozens of, of of governments all around the developing world who 
actually have just spent their time creaming what they can off the <laughs> the exploitative flows that are flowing back to the financial centers and so on. They're a very small elite in those countries is doing okay. The rest of the country, you know, uh, they're, 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 it's, it's, it's a desperate situation. Um, and, and, and that was created. So, so debt is interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just an economic tool. It's a way of disciplining countries. It's a way of preventing them um, from being able to liberate themselves in the way that, to a certain extent, um, the working class, the poor, the disenfranchised in the West were able to liberate themselves over the course of the 20th century by, for by forcing governments um, to provide um, health systems education systems, welfare safety nets, um, trade union rights, and so on. That hasn't been possible in large parts of the world, and debt is a key reason for that. Right. If we just look at, at the uh, policies that have been implemented uh, almost universally, it's almost like, like the Structural Adjustment Programme, one, one solution fits everything, fits everyone. Uh, and, and the elements of this are... Uh, washing hands, uh, soap, uh, some alcohol to disinfect. But critical to this is that what they call social distancing uh, and and mm. uh, and lockdown. Okay. Now, it it seems to me that if you look across the African continent, at least, uh, the majority of these governments are actually spending more on the militarization of the streets to implement and force uh, uh, lockdown. Uh, what it means is that the people who are the most disenfranchised, the homeless, people, shack dwellers and so on, are in a situation where uh, th there is no possibility of lockdown. They have no home uh, to, to speak of. Uh, and uh, Social distancing and lockdown seems to be a method of social control. In other words, they're spending more on militarization than they are actually on health services. So you, we have a situation where we say, well, hang on, if we give them relief, we give this government's relief on, on, on debt, are they not going to spend that increasingly on uh, more coercive and repressive uh, policies. It's a very, very good question. It's very interesting, isn't it? How different? How? How? I mean, I think the elites around the world are not clear on how to deal with this situation at all, and you're seeing radically different um, ways of dealing with it. From one end, the Trumps and the Bolsonaros that are saying there's not really a problem here. Keep the economy open. We don't need any. Right through to the to the Modis, um, to the Dutertes in the Philippines, who are you know shooting anybody who leaves lockdown. Your harsh, harsh militarization, like you say, of the of the streets, um, which could uh, absolutely mean protest and and resistance more difficult. Um, how do you deal with that? that? That's a very good question. And I think one of the problems that we have here, and I don't have all of the answers to it, is we, we have a model of international cooperation, which has, was hijacked in, in the late 1970s um, by the financial sector, by uh, the global elite, by the 1%, by the um, which means that the global economy is run on free trade rules based around the World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund, uh, the World 
World Bank. I mean, kind of the worst bits of, 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 of international cooperation that, that, that's been embedded into in, in, in hard law. While the, the cooperation we really need around human rights, around how we deal with climate change, around the World Health Organization, most importantly, um, these, these institutions have been marginalized, downplayed. It's very difficult. Um, to, and, and what that means is it, it's, 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 it's very hard for us um, to, 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 to figure a way through this because organizations like mine have argued for a long time, don't put conditions on debt cancellation. Don't put conditions on emergency funding because those conditions tend to be free market conditions that will make the situation worse. They tend to be structural adjustment conditions. In a situation like this, do you say, actually, you need conditions on some of this money because you don't trust some of the governments on the ground um, to enforce the spending that's released to go on public health care systems? to go on welfare safety nets and so on and so forth. This is really difficult. Um, and, 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 you know, I'm not honestly sure what, what the answer is here. And I think to a degree, um, it must depend upon resistance, grassroots resistance in the country concerned. Because if those people in the country can't hold their governments to account, it's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to work out how you how you deal with this. So the, the, the thing we hope for, in a way, is, is that this crisis, this awful situation, actually mobilizes people, gives people a clearer understanding of the nature of power um, in their own economy, in their own society, in the world, and mobilizes them to actually take, take the resources and, and, and use them for themselves to rebuild their society in a better way. And I think, you know, that seems like a seems like a huge ask but but actually that's that's how history's always worked and you know if you look at when when these systems were built up were demanded by the working class in in western countries like mine um it was it was largely after the second world war when people had been through this 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 awful period this 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 period of serious militarization you know total militarization um of 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 having their rights taken away but also having the state completely run the economy you know the market just can't cope with these kind of situations and after the war when people on the right of the political spectrum said and now you've got to pay for this through austerity the people said, no, we're not having that because we've seen what is possible. We've seen what's possible when it's necessary to fight a war. And we demand some of those things in peacetime too. We demand that our healthcare is taken out of the market mechanism. We demand our education is taken out of the market mechanism. We demand security for a dignified life. Um, and in this way began to democratize society. Could this be a moment where this is possible in some parts of the global south too? Yeah, I mean, I think that raises a really important point because certainly one of my discomforts with many of the campaigns in, in the North, in the global North, around this issue, uh, not only of debt, but you know, social policy and so on, uh, is the danger of taking agency away from people in these countries. That is to say, history is made by people. It's not made by NGOs, mm. much as they, mm. some of them might consider that's their role. Uh, but, 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 but I think it's, it, it seems to me, and it goes back to this question of jubilee and the freeing of slaves. Uh, and, 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 and jubilee is often presented as a, uh, as a um, noblesse oblige uh, by the elite. But I, but I suspect that actually we looked at the historical circumstances, we would see that their organizing of slaves, the discontent, the, the expression of, of a demand for freedom. I mean, this is a, a normal thing amongst humans, that 
In fact, it is a def definition of being human, the aspiration for freedom, aspiration for uh, some form of emancipation. So I think, you know, this issue of uh, agency is really important. And, and I know that, that one of the things that you, uh, both in, in your organization and uh, in relation to the, the coalitions that you've been building. You've been talking to, to organizations and, and movements in the global south as well. Uh, I mean, I think recently you've been... Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's essential. So, so, so what is their view? What, how, how, what, is, what does this issue look like from that side of the table? Mm. I think you're completely right. If, if this is not something which is pushed by the people who should benefit the most, by the people who are most marginalized at the current time, um, then you're, you're, you're right. It will simply create um, you know, more wealth. It will distribute wealth around the top of, the, the top of society. This must be seen as, as something that's, that's liberationary. And, and really, the debt movement came from, came from the global south um, in, in the 80s and 90s. It was people in the global south in countries where they could see that their government was spending so much servicing debts um, every year, regardless of how much they trusted their government. Um, they saw it was fundamentally wrong that their government was sending debts back to the financial centers of the north year on year on year, rather than spending it um, on the welfare um, of their own people. Um, and that was uh, uh, where this demand for Jubilee came from. In, in the 80s and 90s that, that their northern NGOs kind of took up and as, as a kind of solidarity campaign at first. Um, and, and, and that has to be part of the picture because, because you're right. Otherwise, it's an argument between elites in, in different countries. Um, but I think it can be, you see. I, I think that, that it can provide the starting. You see, if a government in the south simply says, well, well our hands are tied, you know, uh, by by northern creditors, by northern governments, by northern financiers, it, it, it enables some really unpleasant governments to actually set, to actually claim this kind of anti-imperialist mantle at the same time as they're actually suppressing people and not in any way interested in democracy or or liberation of their mm. people. They claim that they're kind of fighting this international fight against global creditors, and it's it's all rhetoric. It's not about it becomes not about liberation at all. But it but but but, but if people at least understand the base issue that essentially their country is being exploited by Western capital, by Northern capital, and by the financial markets in yeah. the North, yeah. and that their, 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 their efforts to, 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 to fight against that and put the money back in the hands of their government, however poor their governments might be, is to me a, a process in that democratization, a process yeah. in that liberation, because the next step is then, hang on a minute, those debt service payments don't exist anymore. So why is the money still not coming to us? Why are our services still not improving? Why are we still poor? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we've we, we begin to see in the in in the in the rise of this COVID crisis is is um, the the organising of 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 rent strikes of uh, of saying no uh, uh, can't pay won't pay, uh, which is really interesting uh, thing. So. But if we we look back at the history of the struggles against debt, there have been occasions when when countries have said, "No, we're not paying. Uh, can't pay, won't pay. Fuck you." Yeah, um, isn't that something that we should be organising around? We will have to because, uh, in in actual fact, some of the most egregious debt, some of the debt which is accruing the highest interest rates, which is costing the most. 
um, to southern countries is financial sector debt. Right? And it is, it is outside the power of governments to, 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 to force write-downs of that debt. The only way that that debt can be written down is governments have to default or have to say we're not going to pay it. Um, and you're already seeing governments in that situation. Uh, slightly richer governments, but Argentina, Lebanon this year have already defaulted. Ecuador is on the edge of default. Zambia is on the edge of default. Um, so uh, they absolutely have to take that, that action. The, 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 the problem that you find is um, it, it is sometimes, I mean, it depends how powerful you are as a country, right? This is this is not an easy thing to do if you're an extremely poor country. Um, and it's not an easy thing to do because it could potentially shut you out of the markets for a long time. It could potentially mean vulture funds are buying up this debt and trying to sue you and seize your assets and so on. The financial sector has protections built in to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen. Um, so, 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 so the best possible solution for me would be several countries coming together and doing it at the same time. I mean, that's the best way. Um, um, to, 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 to enact this. But, but absolutely, it, 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 it will require countries defaulting on this debt. Um, and, and it will require activists like myself and organizations like myself standing in solidarity with governments that do that and demanding of our own government that they are not punished for that. Um, but rather they say, well, of course, there, there, there is no other option here. Um, but you're absolutely right. That, that agency is, is, is vital. And it has happened. It has happened um, in the past. Um, one of the most, I mean, we both know Faroe is one of the one of the the, the the most inspirational figures in in the history of the debt movement is is Thomas Sankara in, in Burkina Faso, um, who said we cannot pay, we will not pay, um, and if we do not pay, our financiers, our creditors will not die, but if we do pay, the people in this country will die, the impoverished of this country will die, and sadly he was you know he was assassinated um, as a result of his 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 militant action um, on the international scene. Um, and, and that's the risk. Uh, I mean, some of this is, is, is risky stuff. And, and that's why you need a, a population behind you. You need this to be part of an international mobilization, an international movement, because only in that way can we protect the people on the front line of this struggle. So, I mean, so to build on that, I mean, what's happening in the UK? Um, is there a popular movement? Is there pressure on, uh, on both the UK government but also the financial institutions uh, to to do that. It's, I mean, for example, we think back to the to the to the fifties uh, and sixties, the 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 campaigns against Barclays, for example, people removing their accounts from Barclays because of their involvement in these financial and in in apartheid. Is that a strategy that can be be developed? What are the mechanisms? What kind of what? What can the British population get engaged with uh, that gives mm -hmm. them agency over their own uh, regime? I, I'm not calling it government. I'm calling it a regime. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think we're we're in early days. But the, the thing that's made me pleased, at least so far, is some of the big uh, the big development NGOs, which have been very depoliticized um, in in recent years, well, for a long time now, um, have are taking reasonably radical. Um, at least at a rhetorical level, they're being reasonably radical in in in, in their demands. Can you give um, some examples? Yeah. So uh, last week, um, uh, the G20 uh, and the IMF um, issued um, their recommendations, their policy proposals for debt cancellation, which, as I say, is really just you don't have to pay for a few months, um, and we kick the problem down the road. Um, almost all of the NGOs have come out and been fairly critical of that and said that's ridiculous. It's, it's you need to get real. That's that, that, that's nothing like a satisfactory solution to this to this problem, um, which is quite, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a bit different from what we've seen 
in recent times. So, so, so perhaps there's a recognition there that that actually this is this is a really different situation we're in to anything we've seen since you know the 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 the, the, the mid two thousands. But you're right in that I think it's going to require us to put. Um, to, to, to build a real movement around this, a real solidarity movement. Uh, one of the first things we're doing is we're saying to the British government, because a lot of debt is is arbitrated on in, in London and New York. Most of the debt in the world uses London law, uses British law, uh, English law, sorry, and, um, and, and New York law. Um, and, and one of the things that happens when a country defaults is, is the price of their debt goes through the floor and it's bought up by hedge funds, investments funds. You know, I mean, these are, things, these, are, these are companies that we don't know much about. They're shadowy companies that we as individuals don't have much to do with. Um, and, and, then, and then years later, when the country is a bit more solvent, they will, they will use London courts and New York courts um, to sue the country and try and seize their assets to recover this, um, to recover this debt. Argentina has been one of the worst victims of this. I mean, uh, 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 a former president of Argentina couldn't even fly around the world in, in, in the presidential jet because it would have been seized by, um, by hedge funds who were saying, you owe us this, this money, we're seizing your assets. Um, so one of the solid actions we're trying to build um, is to get campaigners here to force the British government to pass laws saying we will not accept um, litigation um, on this debt that's being defaulted on at the moment in London courts. You will not be able to do that. You will not be able to recover your assets in that way. Um, and that will help countries be able to default on and write down um, their debt. Um, but it's early days. I mean, I mean, look, many people here at the moment are obviously worried about their own communities, their own family and friends. Um, and one of the things we're we're trying to do is get people to say, yeah, of course, this is really important. Of course, like the fact that our own nurses in a very rich country, like Britain, our own doctors don't have proper uh, protective equipment in hospitals is, is just unbelievable. And we need to be fighting for that as well. But don't forget, this is international. Um, the, co the COVID virus itself is, is obviously international. The economic crisis that will result from this um, is also going to be international. We cannot solve this in one country. And these are kind of ways that we are beginning to build a campaign base again to put pressure on our government um, as part of that solidarity action with people across the global south. Yeah, um, the the um, the movements that and, and actions being taken are of are not just can't pay, won't pay in terms of rent strike, etc. But there's also um, forgiveness of debt and postponement of debt and so on that that is that is happening uh, in in many uh, countries of 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 the of the global north. Um, and it yes. always, you know, brings me back to my favorite story. You know, what source for the goose must be good for Uganda. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, this is what we're saying all the time. I mean, look, look, look at the way that very right-wing governments in America and in Britain and in in other places are suddenly intervening in their economy in a way we haven't seen since the Second World War, are, are taking over parts of the economy, are engaged in economic planning, because for the last 40 years, we've handed over economic planning to the financial sector, um, which makes decisions on the basis of short-term profitability. Uh, that's all had to go. We're taking things back into public ownership. Um, really very, I mean, extreme amounts of funding um, being injected into our own economies and so on. And, and this is really interesting that they have to do this. They don't really have a choice, right? The economy will collapse um, without it because financial markets just can't cope with crises. And we've known that for 150 years now. Um, so they're doing that here. Um, and I think and I hope that that's going to start mobilizing people around the South, both governments and people, movements and, and, and NGOs and so on to say, uh, okay, 
uh, you can do that for your own companies. You can do that for your own financial sector. You can do that for your own economies. But when it comes to us, what well, we're still supposed to rely on the market um, to provide for us in this in this very difficult time. No, it's not. It's not going to work. Um, uh, you know, we've seen a lot. I mean, in the whole history of capitalism, we've we, you know there is this phrase of socialism for the rich, uh, the free market for the poor. Um, uh, and I think that's one of the things you're going to see in this crisis. You're going to see developing countries, even fairly rich developing countries, cut off from the economic tools that are being used in the North. And potentially that could foster even greater inequality than we've seen um, up to now. Um, so I, I, I'm really hoping that that the, 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 the tension between those uh, the, the, those two responses, the, the hypocrisy in a way of Western governments and Western financial institutions, which are now begging uh, for money from the state to keep themselves going, will, will become so obvious to people um, that it will begin to mobilize. And that's what our you know campaigns are about. And as I say, I, I, I think it goes, you're absolutely right. It goes down from individuals who are worried about being thrown out of their um, flat because they're not being paid at the moment and they can't afford the rent and therefore are on rent strike and you know there are there are big campaign anti-eviction campaigns and so on um, to, to to take that logic through to the international economy which works in exactly the same way and to say if you can't pay and you shouldn't be thrown out of your flat then there's absolutely no way x country and x country should be repaying rich creditors <laughs> their rent if you like um this that that's that, that that's that's completely unacceptable and unfair and unjust and we need to show solidarity with those people in their own rent strikes um on a national level so finally, can I can I ask you to comment um, on 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 I thought what a really interesting uh, article by by Arundhati Roy uh, about the portal. She writes, uh, yes. uh, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. We can choose to walk through it, dragging the carcass of our prejudice and hatred our avarice, our data banks and dead ideas, our dead rivers and smoky skies behind us. Or we can walk through lightly with little luggage, ready to imagine another world and ready to fight for it. Um, what's your view? What are the potentials for creating that new world uh, in the campaigns that you are involved in? I read that article too, and it's, it's wonderful to have that bit of hope um at this at this point in time isn't it because you know it is frightening of course this 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 virus is very frightening um for people and and not just the virus itself but the fact that you could be looking at economic collapse you know for a lot of people i know however much they detest the system and it's in unfairness and, and and all the rest of it it's it's frightening to think you might not have a job and all the rest and so i i i, I like this article because it actually says but now, of course, we're frightened, but we we must be more than frightened. We must have hope. We must be active. We must fight for this, and we must think really, really big, because things aren't cannot be allowed to go back to normal. I mean, I I see this crisis very much as a wake up call to us, because if it wasn't this pandemic, it would have been another pandemic. If it wasn't another pandemic, it would have been climate change, which is which is you know a far bigger threat to life on this planet. Uh, sadly, than than COVID nineteen is, and we were doing almost nothing really. See, if we were serious about it, we're doing almost nothing um, to address this 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 massive threat to our to our existence. Um, far more people are dying from global poverty and global inequality um, every year than are dying of COVID. Um, and again, in in some 
by some measures, it's getting worse. Um, so this is a wake-up call, and we have to think big, and we have to um, we have to use uh, the situation um, that we're seeing in in northern countries now. Like I say, where, where where governments are just admitting the market has failed, they're admitting major parts of capitalism have failed. I mean, in this country, a few weeks ago, we essentially renationalized the railways. It's something campaigners have been calling for for years and years and years, um, simply because they, they 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 couldn't be sustained. The market couldn't sustain them anymore. I mean, actually, they were already in a crisis even before uh, the COVID nineteen crisis. Um, so. Very big things are going to happen. And, and, and our job is, I think, absolutely to say this is the opportunity to rethink how our deeply unsustainable, deeply unjust global economy works, how our deeply unfair societies work, to rethink them and to build something very much better. Um, and, and we have to try. It is difficult not to not to give in to, 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 to fear, but to say, look, this was kind of bound to happen. Um, and, uh, and and to use that to, to to really force through the most enormous change in the way that our societies are organized, you know, to stop relying on mass consumption and the financial markets and so on to provide us everything that gives us a sense of identity in this world. Um, we, we, we must move beyond this because we cannot continue like this. So I really like um, Arundhati's Roy's ending there, as you say, that actually we should try to free our minds to a certain degree um, in the days and weeks and months ahead um, from our fear and start thinking, you know, it's 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 incredibly sad um, for the people affected um, so, so so badly at the moment. Um, but we, we we can't let that suffering be in vain. We, we we have to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. And the only way to do this is to um, is to fundamentally rethink the way our society works. And if we want it to work differently, we've got to mobilise. We've got to campaign because that's how all change has 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 happened. We can't wait. We can't expect the International Monetary Fund or the G20 to give us the answer to what a better society is going to look like that isn't going to happen it's up to us as citizens um in, in, in on an international basis a national basis a local basis to demand things are different well uh nick just great to have you on the show and i think particularly your your ability to articulate so clearly the problems that we face uh and the challenge we face in in campaigning around this and the challenge of creating a new world uh uh, there was a message just now from uh, Gasheke Gashihi from Kenya. Ah, I can see uh, it, yes. works at the Mathare uh, Social Justice Center uh, saying thanks for remembering uh, Sankara. I think that's a really important uh, point. I will actually be talking to uh, Gasheke tomorrow. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, his perspectives. It's the second interview we're doing with him, um, really focusing on the violence that's been uh, uh, carried out by the police uh, in, in, in many of the, the, amongst many of the shack dwellers. Um, but thank you for, 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 for joining us, Nick. I uh, really appreciate your finding. I know you have to rush to, a, to, a, to another meeting, but don't run off. I'm going to close down, uh, go uh, end the broadcast, but just a few words afterwards. Okay. Thanks for having me on, Feroz. It's been great. And thanks very much, you know, all, all of your um, listeners and viewers today. I mean, solidarity to all of you wherever you are. Um, can We can build a better world. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Um, if we continue working together, and this is a great show for having the conversations about how we, how we might be able to do that. Thanks, Nick. You take care. Uh, Thank you. Let's talk again soon.